Okay, this is Brian Goldie from Southwest Christian High School, uh, the chaplain here with uh, Mr. Clifton Ross, our speaker from Encounter today. Just had a few follow-up questions uh, for you today, Clifton, uh, that um, give, give opportunity for our communities to submit some and some that have just been pervasive for us as a mm -hmm. community. So uh, first question, I guess, is that um, on the one hand, I think some people uh, would say, uh, you have said, it's good to, like, we, we need exposure. Exposure right. is the key to treat people as people. But I wonder if sometimes, even some of the other things that you said were things like, you can't say that, right? So how do we navigate the waters of being uh, comfortable with approaching someone, getting to know them as an individual, as um, someone made in the image of God? Um, because like you said, we're all people, common mm -hmm. problems, see us um, at some level the same, but then also feeling like there's unspoken rules about how to engage the conversation, sure. yeah. and that might provoke some, or might in invoke some fear in yep. engaging it. So how would you like give some wisdom or guidance for navigating that, those waters? Yeah, no, I mean, that's good, because everyone knows there are these unspoken rules. Uh, it's those walls that I talked about, right, that uh, people don't hit walls on purpose. They hit them because they can't see them. And how do you see things that are invisible? So somehow eyes have to be opened. So the real, I think the challenge is how do we open our eyes so that we start to see what may not be clearly visible? And it's kind of a catch-22 because one of the best ways for those eyes to be opened is through the exposure. And you, I kind of know what to say, what not to say because I have that lens. I can mm -hmm. see the walls in, in some ways, right, on some p p plane. There's other walls I can't see on other planes. Uh, so that exposure helped. You know, one story I didn't get to tell is when I worked at the Hilton Hotel downtown Minneapolis, my employees were Muslim for the most part. They were immigrants from Somalia. This is when they first kind of started migrating to, uh, immigrating mm -hmm. to Minnesota from mm -hmm. Somalia. And it was a challenge for me early on because uh, I, from a Christian background, I just knew that's a different faith, and that's not a Christ faith, mm -hmm. and they're doomed. And it's not <laughs> that that was cool, but it's like, mm. eh, you know, I mean, you, mm. you want to make somebody bad to be doomed, right? Mm. And if you don't know them, you can make them whatever you want to make them. Mm. But over the years of working with these people, I fell in love with them, mm. and I saw how they would laugh like I would laugh. And what they thought was funny, I would think was funny, and the way they interacted was the way I interacted. And my eyes began to be open, like, oh, my God, they're, they're just like me. Well, I know how I feel, and so I can now imagine how you feel. I got a level of empathy. But it was through that exposure, and I wasn't so cool with now, oh, yeah, they're just going to hell. I actually then really struggled with, they're good like me. Hmm. So if they don't know, do they, they perish? And I mean, that was a real faith test for mm -hmm. me. But I had an empathy and a care I didn't have previously when they were just Muslims that lived on the other side of the world that, you know, you know. So mm. it's, I think, the way we learn how to navigate is through that exposure. And it might be that you hit the wall a few times. Mm. But when you hit the wall, when you're trying to engage, mm. there's a grace than people at 5,000 miles away that are slewing insults or offenses. Uh, I go to Mexico for vacation oftentimes, and... My Spanish is terrible, but no one judges me on how terrible my Spanish is because they're honored that they see me trying to speak the language mm. and honoring their culture while I'm here. So if there's a white guy who goes to a black church and says something stupid, here's what everybody knows. He's not racist. <laughs> mm. He's in a black church. Mm. 
this guy has an appreciation or a humility. So, and he'll learn or she'll learn in that interaction. Well, they'll, they'll might get perspective for the first time of, oh, now I see why that causes this issue. I had no idea. So I think we shouldn't be trepidatious from exposure because of the rules. It's in the exposure that you learn the why mm. of the quote-unquote mm. rules. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, thank you. For uh, second question is um, maybe this has to do with the rules, but I think a lot of times there, there's a sense of, um, of uh, do you have other maybe examples of uh, cultural blindness that um, maybe are just initial ones that like, man, we should all be aware of. Here are some major ways that these glaringly come to the surface yeah. for people. Oh, no doubt. The biggest ones, I mean, one that comes to mind that we just joke about all the time is uh, when I've had people have conversations with me as though I was somebody that I'm, I'm not. In, in, they, in their mind, there was some interaction they've had with another black person, and they, their brain doesn't allow them to delineate that I'm not that person. Hmm. So you hear people joke, oh, black people don't look the same. It comes out of that, hmm. uh, which is cultural. Again, it's, it's the way, actually, it's not cultural. It's biological the way the brain works and how quickly it tries to get information to you, if you don't have innate knowledge of something, your brain's just gonna, gonna put it in a category. Uh, I mean, I think every culture probably does that. You heard people joke, and I don't know how sensitive this needs to be, but they do that about many cultures. Oh, Asians look the same, all blacks look the same. Mm. Well, Jason, my vice president of my company, his wife is Asian, he doesn't think all Asians look the same because it's not a generality to him. His brain mm. has tuned to the individual and so it's the tuning that makes the difference. So that's the one thing that we talk about all the time is everyone wants to be seen. I've had people that have had conversations with me as somebody else and they've known me for three years. And you think, oh my God, you haven't seen me for three years, hmm. right? I'm interchangeable with another person of the same color. Hmm. So there's just work to be done when one happens to come from a dominant culture. Hmm. Uh, you don't have to, you're not, we're not, ch you're not challenged in that way as often as someone who's not a part of the dominant culture is. Because you, in the culture you're in, your brain has already been able to make those delineations, and it's easy to put someone from a different culture in just another block category. So when somebody cares, there's just more work to be done, just to kind of pause uh, you know, and say, wait, let me just make sure I know who I'm talking to. And besides that, it really is just the stereotypes. There are so many people who are so convinced that they know you, and they don't mean anything about it, right? There, there's no, uh, uh, you know, they're not trying to be derogatory or, or you know, offensive. They really do think they know you because they know your stereotype. Hmm. That dude thought it was a term of endearment to call me brah. Hey, I'm cool, right? I'm like you. Hmm. Well, that's not me. You know, who I was in his mind was relative to a, a stereotypical uh, caricature. And so it's just to be aware that we probably, if we don't have exposure directly, then our insight or our knowledge has to be indirect. If it's indirect, it's probably lacking some accuracy. And so stereotypes just assume that you know, that's not who I'm mm. dealing with mm. in, real, yeah. in the real world, most that likely. Might, you might have something to say about guys who stereotype women, too, right? It's the same thing, they don't right? Have, uh, they don't have exposure. They don't, uh, might say something about them. Well, in part of it's just, <laughs> yes, yeah. In part of it's being that dominant culture, right? The, 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 the dominant male, yeah. right? At least right. from a cultural right. standpoint, males yeah. historically have had kind of the dominant role. Mm -hmm. And so we can just call people who, what do we want about them? Mm. Treat people how we mm -hmm. want to treat them because we're, what are you going to do about it? You know, mm. we're in charge. Mm. 
Uh, but I think that's sh- that shifting today now, mm-hmm. when very consequential to a lot of people. And there mm-hmm. needs to be some shift there. Mm-hmm. You know, it needs to be balanced too. But sometimes the pendulum swings way the wrong side yeah. to hopefully trying to find its way to even. Yeah. I remember I was at the office uh, in, in talking to my assistant at the time, and I made reference to some of the ladies in the office. I said, oh, something, something about the girls. Mm-hmm. And she goes, the girls? And she mm. goes, I didn't think we hired children. <laughs> I was like, oh. She goes, no, we are women. <gasps> oh, yes, I have been corrected. <laughs> right? So that was me hitting a wall because uh-huh. that, that's why we, we call it guys and yeah. girls, right? Yeah. No, we're not girls. Mm. So, you know, mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. It's, it's a learning progression for yeah. all of us on different levels, whether it be gender, race, culture, all these things. Yeah, that's good. Thank you, Cliff. One last question for you. Yeah. Um, could you just maybe explain a little bit more about the role of uh, your, f- maybe go in a little more depth about the role of your faith? Yeah. Um, and you've had, you know, your last point there was, remember Christ has a say and you are his voice. Yeah. Uh, but maybe even just about uh, your own processing of how your faith has impacted your understanding of and your approach to issues of cultural consciousness. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. Um, you know, Christ has an agenda. God has a will. And oftentimes his will just isn't the same as, as ours. Uh, even Jesus in his day, there was a lot of political up unrest. And obviously the, the you know, Jews were oppressed by the Romans and, and, and all kind of different negative things going on. And here you have the creator of the world. And there's a lot of problems, right? There's a lot of things that could have been solved that, he just didn't focus on in that mm. moment, mm. right? Remember even the woman who, the, the, the Samaritan, I think it was, or whatever, whose son was sick, and Jesus was like, yeah, but I'm not re- really dealing with you guys right now. I'm dealing with these mm. people. Mm-hmm. And we think it's harsh a little bit mm-hmm. on the onset, uh, but God has a will, and he knew that he would fix all of those things through the ultimate redemption mm. of man, through the, the cross. Mm. But that's hard to understand for those living in Palestine at that time that mm. want to be freed from the oppression of the Romans right now. Yeah. And so I think that's how we can translate that to what is in, in our era. Uh, you know, it's the wall and immigration and, you know, should we build a wall, should we not? And, you know, should we be an open country or should we be a closed country? And um, should we, this is an English we should focus on speaking English and mm. encourage them to be English. And we are upset when they speak uh, Spanish or, or, you know, whatever. Uh, and all these things we get upset about, even Christians. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that we don't have a role to play in politics and a say in, 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 in culture, in our country. It's not to say that. Mm-hmm. It's just to say when all that that we're saying and everyone that we're listening to and all the news and all the anchors and all the, uh, you know, the, the opinion. It's to just, as Christians say, but, you know, we know that there's a world that transcends this one. And so to not get so obsessed and caught up and fixated, what does Jesus say about this? Hmm. And that's, I think, our challenge because we might end up doing things that are countercultural. It's a church that I saw recently, and uh, you had those that were detained and there's a lot of political opinions and firestorm on detentions and da 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 da. And should they be here? Should they not? Should they come over the border? Should and and he was down there feeding the people, hmm. right? And some Christians say you're emboldening and you're, hmm. but what he saw was hungry people. Mm-hmm. I see hungry people. Did Jesus see hungry people more or less than the issue about should they be in the country or not? 
right? I mean, mm. and it's not an easy thing. I mean, these are things that we do have to wrestle with. But in all that wrestling, what does Jesus say? And I think that's how faith shapes in all the disagreements and all the wrangling and all the wrestling and, the, you know, figuring things out. Uh, what does Jesus want in this? Mm. And it might be something totally different than what you would hear in uh, an opinion piece on, you know, your favorite news channel mm-hmm. or your church even. Yeah. Amen. Well, once again, Clifton, thank you so much. Great to have you. I know you've been a big blessing and continue to be a big blessing to our community. Um, Once again, this is Brian Goldie from Southwest Christian High School with Mr. Clifton Ross. Yep, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys.